Hi, uh, my name is Mark Sevy. This is the first Plot Points podcast. Welcome. We have a lot in mind to do. Some things will uh, be great, some things will be not so great. At every stage of my life, I've had extraordinary luck and help. When I became a musician in another life, I had the support and love of many people in my family and then, of course, my bandmates. In segueing into writing, I had mentors who guided me and helped me achieve my dreams. When I wanted to start the Orange County Screenwriters Association, several of my friends and students helped make that possible, and someone came out of the mists of fate and fortune to make it truly possible. And more on that later. As I continue teaching, uh, my students remain the best part of who I am as a teacher. Without them, there would be no me in that role. And now, this podcast, I'm blessed, truly blessed, to be working with two people who are just as incredible as anyone I've had the pleasure to work with before. Toby Walwork and Mary Claire Anderson, who we lovingly call MC. Uh, my co-host is MC, and the person, the brains behind uh, the whole podcast, basically, is Toby Walwork. Hopefully, we'll be able to introduce them later and get a, a few words from them, but um, I just want to say thanks ahead of time. So, um, I feel like we all stand on the shoulders of giants, and those people in our chosen field who paved the way for us show us how it's done. But to get there, we're helped aloft to those shoulders by the people close to us, the people who share our passions. My thanks to Toby and MC. Even if this is our first and last podcast, it has been a great experience already. And I'm truly grateful for your help and support to get to this point. So enjoy the podcast. Uh, hopefully it's one of many to come. We're all very passionate about it and look forward to talking to you uh, at some point down the road in person live. But for now, it's going to be this way, and we're happy with that. Thanks. Today, we'll be talking to Lorenzo Porcelli about CinemaCon and the business of Hollywood. Mark answers your questions on screenwritings. We'll discuss what we're watching this week, and I'll tell you why I wish I had a rat in a hat. This is Plot Points Podcast. Our guest this week is Lorenzo Porcelli. Uh, Larry was born in the Bronx in New York, uh, went west to pursue his dreams of film and film production. He's a Michigan State alum, proud, proud to be a Michigan State alum. He's been an educator, a reporter for the Times Mirror doing Fortune, the Fortune 500 beat. Uh, he's also written and been published by Simon Schuster on many how-to topics. And he's also a producer of two Ronald Reagan biographies, which are available at the Ronald Reagan Library here in SoCal. He's currently president of the Southern California Writers Association, the SCWA, and co-founder of uh, the Orange County Screenwriters Association, of which all of us in this room currently are members. And um, he has a impressive, he's also an impressive film historian, probably about a million facts, and he does uh, all these voices, and he does a great Rodney Dangerfield, by the way. He's got these one-liners that just roll around in his head. So he was also responsible and, and um, uh, for guiding the Edwards Theater chain, the Regency Theater chain, and he currently works with Maya Cinemas with Frank Hafar, um, which is a primarily based in the uh, Central Valley. Beautiful, beautiful state-of-the-art theaters. And it's in that capacity that we're going to talk to him because he is one of those guys that's been around film uh, from a different level than I have for many, many years. And so he's really fascinating. He's also a really dear friend. Um, so I'm going to welcome him to our podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being here, Mark. It's an honor. Honestly, it is an honor to have you here. You're really legendary. Is 
Is there anything you wanted to add to your bio? I had I, I took all the notes I could, but I might have missed something. No, I think that's fine. Okay. You did miss quite a few, though. Yeah, I'm uh, sure. You missed my whole IMDb uh, resume. You missed that I was a private investigator. You missed... Uh, no, I, didn't, I didn't know you were a private investigator. <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about CinemaCon. Can you give us some background on that and explain wh- how, why it's important Sure. CinemaCon um, was called, at its origination, uh, Show West. There were two conferences in America. One was called Show East, which was in Florida. At one time, it had moved to um, New Jersey, to Atlantic City, and then went back to Florida, near Miami Beach. And um, one on the West Coast, uh, in Las Vegas, called Show West. Uh, It was a meeting of the two most important people in the film business, the exhibitors and the creativity people at the studios who made the movies and distributed them. So it became um, a yearly event and it went goes back on the West Coast uh, almost 50 years wow. where they first started coming in Las Vegas and they used to meet at the Bally's and it was tradition where you know the studios would come and have events uh, in the big ballrooms or tents. They'd put up tents and have it. And the exhibitors would also have, from their portion of the uh, film world, they would have people who sell equipment and seating and everything in a, in a display area where they could go and perhaps get deals on that for their theaters. So over the years, you saw the trend in, um, in equipment rise so greatly when digital first came out. You know, CinemaCon embraced it. And so all the exhibitors were going, and now people are listening to the best sound they've ever had. Right. No matter, you could be in a little town somewhere. But CinemaCon enabled that. But it also enabled some wonderful times where uh, studios would bring their stars, and they would have three head tables of them, and you could walk up to them and shake their hand, get their autographs, you know? And, um, of course, the uh, craziness of the world today has not eliminated that, but made it more remote, where now... They use like the large stadium at Caesar's Palace. And so you'll see a studio come. They'll show you clips from all their movies. They bring out the stars. And you can access them afterwards. But during that time, you can't. There's thousands of people, you know, in there, 5,000 people sitting there watching. Yeah, but, you, you, you sent a picture to me of, of Dwayne Johnson, right? Yes. That, uh, the Rock. The Rock. Right, for Baywatch and all that. Right, yeah. right. And, and, and they show you, you know, everything that's upcoming. So each studio has something. One may be in the morning, one may be... It goes from a Monday through a Thursday evening. And on Thursday evening, you have... Uh, everyone comes together and they give out awards for upcoming uh, stars, stars of the year. You know, and they always have a historical and so on. So it's been... It's, this year they, you know, honored Shirley MacLaine. And she's a personal friend, so mm. that was a delightful. Uh, yeah, you have a evening. picture of her in your office. Yes, right? yeah. yes, she's a, she's a delightful. But it's really a where the film creativity distribution come together with their partners in the business, the exhibitors at studios. I mean, at uh, film where we sell theater, movie theaters. Remember, everybody thinks of when they see a gross on a movie, a hundred million dollars. Wow, the studio is getting all that. No, the studio is getting fifty million. All the theaters that are showing it are getting $50 million. And if you go out to a theater today, you'll see such an enlarged portfolio of um, technology that makes going to a movie unbelievable, you know. 
and um, you need it. Right. You do. Uh, yeah. A film, at least in, in the Maya cinemas right now, is digital, right? It's all digital. Oh, everything's digital pretty much worldwide right. and digital in America. They, most of the studios do not make film prints anymore of actual film. Right. You may get an occasional film print that they'll make just to make it. But, um, you know, it's just become, if you can't put in digital, and it's expensive, but if you can't put it in, they, you know, just... Has, has that reduced the cost of, uh, so, uh, well, let's not get it too technical. I want to ask you this. Why do you think it's important for screenwriters or filmmakers to understand this part of the business? Is it, I mean, I, I always tell my students, write the best script you have. The rest of it's out of your control. But do you think it has, it has uh, that there's an understanding that we have to have about the business of how film is distributed and made and the, the mindset of these executives? Of course. Of course, creativity is totally different. And even at the studios, creativity is separated from distribution, who decides how your movie is going to be marketed. And um, creativity has its own niche. But it's a niche that's involved with exhibition and with writing, and certainly, um, I think if you're a writer and you want to make a movie, yeah, uh, people have these idealistic dreams a lot of times of, oh, I've got the best story in the world. But, uh, you know, I find a lot of writers do not have a concept of what sells. Right. And they need to know what, I mean, have they studied the market on the type of movie they're doing? Have they spoken to people that could tell them, well, that will gross you about this. That will be busy on Friday night only, you know, that type of thing. But they certainly do need to delve in and see what's going on there, especially today because the market has become expanded mm. and people say, oh, they're not buying anything. They're buying tons of stuff. They need it because they have to fill it. And they not only have, and there's more, and now a lot of the production has gone to production companies rather than studios. Mm. So uh, they, instead of studios, are, all, are looking for film, looking for product. And then, you know, you have... Uh, a split company. You have companies like Netflix doing movies. You have Amazon doing movies. Amazon Hulu, won the Academy ev Award. Right? Everybody, yeah. Oh, right for Man uh, Manchester by the Sea. Manchester by the Sea, and um, they came to the uh, CinemaCon uh, for the first time. Not this year. They came last year in 2016. Netflix. No, Amazon. Amazon. I'm sorry. Yes. And so it was the first time they were presenting themselves as a studio. Oh. So it was an interesting. Uh, everybody wanted to see what were they going to say. Because the exhibitors certainly are always looking for exhibition. We're looking for movies. So we were kind to them. But, of course, you might have had some um, um, catcalling from studios or some uh, shills for them that are in the media, you know, that type of stuff on Variety or something. But the question came up, well, what are they going to do? What are they going to show up, you know? But they came up as a legitimate studio. And they had, yes, they do produce movies for television, but they also had movies that they wanted in distribution. And the fact of the matter is, you know, yes, you can have a specialty movie on cable and that type of stuff. Yes, that's made for that and programs. But if you want a movie to succeed, it has to be in a theater. And uh, whatever you want to do for the future with it, you know, you need to exhibit it. That's why the, um, the thoughts of uh, taking film down into immediate release on HT home TV won't work because it won't catch on. You sure? Oh, absolutely. Because it's, pr well, the movie they have now on, there's some that are released at the same time. Yeah. As, and they're mostly art film. Right. But they don't do any business. Mm -hmm. Nothing. Because you have the commonality that people want to sit in a theater. Mm -hmm. Sure, 
But what'll happen is you may lose some of the dreck, mm -hmm. uh, thank God, but uh, <laughs> some of the films that are just, you know, kind of schlocky to begin with, you know, and you don't... Uh, don't, don't bag on Sharknado. I happen to love that film. <laughs> they stole my idea from that. <laughs> so it, did, does CinemaCon cover only uh, movies, features, or does it also do television, anything, uh, any other media besides just film? It does film, but all its, um, all, it does film in all its uh, ways of being transmitted, from your phone to streaming everywhere else, and everywhere, streaming else. everywhere yeah. else. Because some theaters now, where theaters are the place where you'll see the latest in technology, because nobody wants to spend the money to put them in, put the technology in. But theater owners do, and they like it where they can have a, an auditorium where they're streaming something. They like it where they can have an auditorium where they're also doing um, uh, gaming, you know, video gaming, back and forth, where you draw. I could, pl I could fill up an auditorium at midnight now because I could put a video gaming in there live, mm -hmm. and you have teams that come in. They've started leagues all over, mm -hmm. and people for, follow For gaming, them. yeah, right. Yeah, you know, and right. they come in, and, and, so, and then they uh, are tied to film. So, like, uh, you can... Do it all night, and then let's say uh, in the morning you can have um, the, the film that it's based on, that the gaming may be based on, you know, a screening of it, which the studios have done with us. They'll come in and they'll say, well, we like to do the gaming, and then we'd like to do the film that it's based on to see how the audience tests it. Okay. So, so let me ask you this. A friend of mine who uh, works for a company in the business and also is a pretty accomplished writer is working on a virtual reality script, which we hope to have him uh, as a guest down the road. But um, I, I mean, I don't even know, you know, exactly how that goes, and I, and I'm interested in finding out. But um, what do you think about virtual reality? Do you think it's going to be a reality at some point? Uh, do you think moviegoers will, will want to see? Uh, be, what's behind them and what's in front of them at some point in theaters? Yes, um, it's being done now. And in various ways, and uh, people do like it. What's happened a lot in the film business, and, and writers should know it, is the market has become niched. And just because of, I, would, I call it the, end, the uh, effect of cable, cable has made niching um, the market. Explain what you mean by niche. Well, if you like uh, fishing, you can watch a fishing channel all day, all night. If you like uh, news, you can watch news all day and all night, God forbid. But you could also watch... Anything you like, and just stay with that. Mm -hmm. So that has transferred over a lot to film. Some people like one type of film, one type of like, audience, like faith-based films. It, and, correctly, and, and it's and expanded. Comic book films it, right, and, it's expanded the market. Uh -huh. So you have a lot of different op horror mm -hmm. has expanded greatly. Um, you see um, just so many different varieties that are able to come out there, and because of the broad distribution, what happens with digital is you can put your di your distribution on. Where years ago, you were lucky to get 1,000 screens or 2,000 screens. Today, for a big weekend, you could get 4,000 theaters with 12,000 screens. Wow. So, you know, the first week of the movie, you're out there and your money's made back. Mm -hmm. And anything after that is gravy. So movies can't tell you today that they lose money. They never do. Mm -hmm. Even the schlockiest, worst movie makes money. Several it, oh, Asian um, companies have started with that in putting... Um, uh, that into theaters and testing it, CGV, that's it, CGV uh, cinemas. And you can go into that theater and um, you'll not only have the recliner, but you'll also have um, a theater where the seats are the type 
that will jump up and down, go around, spin. Like in in, in like in D-Box, with, with, but, oh, right, but with better things. than it's like amplified D-Box. Right. And then you'll also get um, scents. You'll get water sprayed at you. No. Oh yeah, you'll get all kinds of stuff. <laughs> And when you look at the seat, it looks like the electric chair, really. But uh, nonetheless, people are sitting, packing them out because they like the amplification of uh, the senses during um, some of those niche-type movies, right. you know. They have so, another theater, though, that if I may see, say that. Yeah, sure. And, um, you, it's, you know, you have four, four walls in an auditorium. But in this, you'll be watching a movie, and the action, it has to be an action picture. The action's on the big front screen, but all of a sudden, during key scenes the film will appear on the two side screens on either side of you. So you have film on three sides of you running. And you're like, wow, you know. And, kind of uh, like a virtual reality. Yeah, exactly. And it's, uh, you know, you're looking around at this and that and everything. Sure, they keep the primary in the front. But they do have ancillary activity and stuff that you may miss on the side. Kind of, And that's, that reminds me, I mean, when, when um, what's the, the Lucasfilm, the, uh, uh, oh God, I can't think of the term, the sound. Uh, THX. THX. That was, surround sound came into the theaters kind of similarly, right? I mean, you started to get, I remember seeing uh, uh, Apocalypse Now and hearing the helicopters behind me. That was all um, done with, uh, when you had Apocalypse Now, um, you know, it, there was a, a group that was involved with sound, Lucas being one of them, Coppola being one of them, and um, so they came up with their own branding called THX. Right. Um, but uh, the actual one who actually produced it was Dolby. But Dolby got money from them, and, you know, it all worked together. So um, what you have is uh, you had... Dolby came up uh, with the first super stereo, they called it, because previous to that, you were getting mono sound, mostly. You were getting amplified mono. You were getting a few different types of mono that sounded, because all the sound was coming from behind the screens. And then when they added speakers, a few speakers to the wall where the sound could, they had no way of transferring it, you know, from one to the next, to, on the film. But then when Dolby came up with their own method, Dolby Digital, of putting the, the soundtrack on the film, Dolby, there was a couple of companies that did it. So you had to have all three sound systems in order to get it. But it took the sound from just behind the screen to giving you effects around you know not main and it would never run the same time as the main screen you know otherwise you blow out your speakers right. but it worked uh, worked really well and then it became amplified dolby had came up um two and a half years ago with um dolby atmos atmos now. right and atmos takes you right into the movie what they did was it's not that it was amplified but they figured out how to program speakers so that every seat got the sound right to them and, you know, the first one I saw in it was that um, the Dwayne Johnson, um, the rock movie about the earthquake. Oh, San Andreas. San Andreas. And, oh, my goodness, that was like, holy cow. You were sitting there thinking you were in the middle of it, you know. It was like, and when I saw the Revenant in that, when, when DiCaprio was wrestling that bear, Lord, people in the theater were screaming. And this is, a, a, a you know, an artistic film. Right. And uh, it was just really well done. Dolby came up with now people are trying to imitate them right you know but um, well all the Mayas theaters have Dolby Atmos right oh yeah yeah we have Dolby Atmos by the way on that yeah producers um, directors and a lot of the stars want their films mixed in Atmos mm. to make sure they put that in their contracts no, no kidding. that there has to be Atmos offering some theaters don't have Atmos so they can't play in Atmos and um, 
but the sophisticated ear listener can go in and they're amazed. Usually when you put a film up for sale, the film in Atmos will sell out before the other ones, mm. and the big screen format included. Right. Like everybody's added the big screen. We've added the big screens with Atmos, you know, right, so right. you have a phenomenal effect. So let me ask you something a little bit more specific to our audience. Uh, you're a writer also. You're a terrific writer, uh, and you must have a sense from all the years of being in business of what's a, what do you think, anybody starting out, what's the best genre for somebody to shoot for to get to break in? I mean, is it horror? Is it suspense? Is it mystery? Is it comedy? What, what do you think? Horror. Horror. Horror always has an audience and has since time began, you know, since Nosferatu back in the silent days. And um, it's entranced people. And especially, you know, young people love horror. Mm -hmm. And so you'll get a guaranteed 15 to 20 million on your first weekend if your horror movie, you know, is halfway decent and has some premise that hasn't been seen. Well, some of the found footage films like uh, Paranormal Activity and, yeah. well, Blair Witch kind of started yeah. that whole thing. Yeah. I mean, are those valid, uh, those kind of found footage? Everybody seems to be interested in found footage or what they call limited Limited, loca limited locations, or so there's another phrase for it, but it's, they, want, they want small, they want stuff that they can film on, a, on an iPhone, basically. Right. As long as it's not, over, you know, until you have too many of them, right. then people will say, the hell look with for it. Something you know, else. that's it, you sure. know, give it up, because they know what's going to happen, and they know the premise. Now, you were, you were involved with, uh, you and Maya were involved with The Gallows. Yes, The Gallows was done by two young filmmakers from Fresno. So... Um, they came to us and met with them, and it was a delight, you know, to meet two young guys who had made this movie, and uh, Warner's had picked it up, you know. Of so course, they, they reshot the whole thing, but, well, oh, but they did. almost. Really? Yeah, almost. A lot of Kind of like the uh, Rodriguez, the uh, Desperado. Well, Bloomhouse. Bloomhouse Bloom is the one who saw the horror, film from A horror them. producer. Right, right. Who saw their film and liked it right. and signed them. Then they went to Warner's together. Uh -huh. Warner's uh, took the film. Uh-huh. And so they added another 750000 to the budget wow. and said, let's make it a little longer, let's add a little... Do you little... know what their original budget was? The original budget? Yeah. I think the original budget was 100000 Really? Yeah. I didn't, I didn't think it was that much, but that's and, interesting. And that also, that's one key thing that writers should know is the cost of what they're putting on paper. Mm -hmm. Because you'll say, you know, five helicopters rise to the sky. You know, that costs a fortune sure, to, to put sure. five helicopters rise well, to unless the sky. Well, I, I had some experiences with that where they where they would give me uh, clips from other yeah. movies yeah, right. and tell me right around those right. clips. <laughs> so, so there was a Terminator clip with these with the helicopter scene in Terminator 2. Yeah. I had to write a script around that, yeah. around that scene because they buy that stock footage. I don't know if they still do it, but they used to buy the stock footage and because it increases the production values. It makes it right. look like it's sure. really big. So. It's occasionally done, but you know, today <laughs> you can spot it. Right. So it's hard to uh, It's hard to match it. it. Yeah. It's hard to match it. And, but so writers need to know the cost. Horror is the least expensive thing you can do. So thank you again, and I appreciate being here. I, I, I can't tell you how much I've enjoyed it. I'm sure um, <laughs> we'll have you back. Uh, you can make that face all you want. I don't know what the hell you think you're doing. But <laughs> uh, Thanks. This is L Lorenzo Porcelli, uh, affectionately known as You're Killing Me, Larry. Uh, <laughs> a good friend, a wonderful human being. Check him out at uh, Southern California Writers Association. And if you ever get up to the Central Valley, Maya Cinemas, um, a wonderful theater chain up there. Um, and just a man about town. He's a, he shows up at a lot, you show up at a lot of uh, events so, and coffee shops and bars. Yeah. So. 
All right. Love you, man. Thank you for you. thank you for being our first first guest uh, on our podcast. Appreciate it. Pioneer. Mwah. Ciao. Ciao. So uh, we're sitting at the table uh, in this great conference room, and um, we're just talking to each other about what we've been watching this week, uh, television or movies, either one I guess would be, or actually what, if you're reading something that's interesting, that would be interesting too, because a lot of books end up on screen anyway. Um, so, so I guess I'll start. Um, I, am, I was always a big fan of The Good Wife. And The Good Fight is a continuation of those. Uh, Michelle and Robert King are the creators of the show. I just, it's, I just think it's fabulous. It's fantastic. Now, of course, it has a very liberal, a politically liberal slant. But at the same time, it's just incredibly good drama, incredibly good um, uh, lawyer thing. You think after a thousand lawyer shows, there wouldn't be anything else you could do. But they constantly push the envelope. Um, so I, I'm just thrilled that they're that Christine Bronsky is back and uh, some new characters there's some of the old characters aren't with this show and I miss them but uh, boy is this really terrific I don't know if anybody's seen it but I'm I'm totally in love with it what are you watching Tove? uh well first of all I'm not familiar with the good wife the good, the good wife, fight good fight or the good wife uh, I never saw either one of them but but how, how does the continuation work how does because one show finished and yeah. then how does how does the new show Exist. So yeah, so the Good Wife uh, focused on uh, Margulies. Um, I can't think of her. Juliana. Juliana and it, she was the main character. But the law firm was certainly a big, a big uh, part of that. And Christine Bronsky, Christine Bronsky owned the law firm. So what happened is, I guess they must have. Uh, there must have been a lot of interest in continuing it. So she is, she is out of that law firm in the first episode. Spoiler alert. Um, <laughs> And she has to go to another law firm, and she's broke. Uh, they have a sub-story about a guy who embezzled, like a kind of, um, um, who's the guy that embezzled all that money? Uh, the Jack Madoff? Madoff. Madoff. Mur- Bernie. 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 Yeah, it's kind of a Jack's Bernie Madoff. son, I think. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it might be. Well, anyway, it's kind of a Bernie Madoff thing. So she has to go back to work, and she's with a mostly African-American firm, which is she, very interesting, because they, they deal with uh, more, like, uh, I think it takes place in Chicago. So, like, Chicago um, issues like uh, cops beating mm-hmm. suspects and killing suspects and stuff. So it's got a, a little bit more of a grassroots slant as opposed to her firm, which did very kind of high. Uh, but but uh, so her, she's in place, and um, um, Delroy Lindo is another. He's the owner of the, the firm. He's really good. But there's just some terrific uh, characters. So it's a continuation, like of she was going to retire, buy the house, buy you know, go to Italy, that kind of stuff. But then this uh, embezzlement occurred. She was broke, and so she had to go back to work. So, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, it was. It was a. It was mm-hmm. a. And it's it's brilliant. It's just brilliant. Brilliant writing. So. Okay. Well, this week I'm watching. Let me pull it up here. I'm watching uh, Happen Leonard. Uh, Happen Leonard. Oh, Happen Leonard. I've heard of it. A show that nobody's heard. <laughs> Uh, Happen Leonard just finished up its second season. It's on uh, Sundance Channel. I'm watching it on the Sundance Channel app, which is actually the AMC app. I guess they're all related. And uh, quick shout out, AMC. Thanks for streaming the show, but the quality is terrible. Uh, I mean, it, it looks like I'm watching it off YouTube. But, uh, but I do like the show, and let me just pull up some background info on it. 
it was created by novelist Joe R. Lansdale, and it's based on apparently uh, Joe's books, novels, and he's involved in the creation of the show. And um, I really like it, and, and Mark, you'll, you'll get it. Uh, it. It reminds me a lot of Terriers. Oh, gosh. But it's set in the late 80s. I'm going to have to watch it. They're a, little, they're a little slapdash, but I think it's around 88, and it's set in East Texas. I don't know anything about East Texas, <laughs> but it's, it's really clever in so much as it's set in the late 80s. That is not so much a character as, as it is um, a, a prison of it because it's like it's late 80s, so there's no Internet. There's no cell phones. So problems that would be easily fixed by Googling it or just calling, you know, the 5-0, you can't do it. Um, and also the fact that it's, uh, it's East Texas, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's sort of a, the kind of place you don't like to think exists in America because it's, everyone's broke, mm. just trying to get by, everyone's taking advantage what's of other the thru- people. What's the thrust of the show, though? Two guys, they're bu- lifelong buddies. Uh, there's, a, there's a big whole issue about their backstory their ghost which is developed within the show but uh it's a white guy and a black guy just trying to get by average joes they're both about early 40s they're just trying to get by uh they're both down on their luck and the system seems rigged against them i don't want to give anything away as far as plot but i'm watching the second season right now and i did just read that they got picked up for a third and they each one is based on one of the books is it um so it's not like a procedural. It's not. It's a drama. More drama than yeah, anything it's, else. Yeah, it's it's a drama. It's very kind of uh, like redneck. Uh, what do you call it? Redneck noir. If that's a genre, <laughs> I'll, I'll coin that. Well, it should be. I think we should create that. I that's think, a great. I thing. think I would like to register that. Yeah, it's like redneck. Noir. I think I you mean, could write that. They are. They they definitely have very small town problems, and there's like some great background stuff. Check it out. Sounds great. Yeah, and the guy the guy that plays Leonard. Uh, is Michael Kenneth Williams, and he, I think he was in The Wire, which... Mm-hmm. Um, oh, gosh, what a great show. I'm one of the six people on the planet that never saw it. Oh. He was Omar on The Wire. Yes. Oh! Yes. Yeah, Omar. By all means, write in and tell people that I should be watching You the should Wire. be. I can't believe that. You're such a... You're such an aficionado of quality television. I can't believe you haven't seen that. Uh, it was on HBO when I didn't have oh, it. Oh, so. man, but it's available now. It's always now. a problem. But Happen Leonard, uh, it's got Michael Kenneth Williams, Omar from The Wire. It's also got James Purifoy. Uh, James Purifoy, English actor. He was in The Following, and he was oh. the guy that wasn't Kevin Bacon in The Following. Was he the bad guy? Yeah, he was the bad guy. Oh, yeah, he's a good actor. And uh, he's a very intense. Uh, and in this... Absolutely not. He's just this very kind of tired, world-weary uh, uh, Texan guy, and, and he's really great. First season had uh, Jimmy Simpson, uh, who's been in a lot of indie movies, and he's, he's really great. He plays a very uh, sort of of the 80s kind of bad guy, which I thought was great. Christina Hendricks is in it uh, from Mad Men. Yeah, she's, uh, she's very good in this. Uh, easy on the eyes, too. She's uh, very, very uh, easy on the eyes. And if anything... And again, a little bit of a spoiler. If you have to figure out who the bad guy is, I think it's a good show. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple of episodes where you think she's the the worst of the bad guys. And and by the end of the first season, that's that's not the case. And I, I really enjoy that because it's very, you go with it. You can't really tell where things are going. Sometimes it tries to be funny, which seems out of place. And it, it, it goes in lots of different directions. And I, I really, I really kind of liked stumbling across it. Okay. I can't wait to watch it. It sounds fantastic. I love it. I love your reference to Terriers, which yeah. was a show both of us enjoyed quite a bit before it got. It only went one season, but wow! And it's got, I think, the best theme. It's very catchy. Theme. Unbelievable, <laughs> incredible. I wrote to him, 
and told him how much I liked his theme, and he said, quit bothering me, I'll get a restraining order. After <laughs> I, I just bought it off iTunes because I didn't want to be a super fan. You don't want to be that guy. I, I, I think you were right to do the way you want. Yeah, so, no, I, it's a, yeah. MC, what yeah, are you watching? MC, what are you watching? Uh, so I think I talked to you guys about this the last time that I spoke with you or met with you, but I, you know, the series finale of Girls just happened mm. a few weeks ago, so of course I thought this is when I should start it. Um, <laughs> and so it's six seasons, and I'm all the way up to the third. And it's a really interesting show for me personally. You know, I graduated, I'm Lena Dunham's age. You know, I graduated back in 2008, which was, you know, right during the economic downturn. And, you know, most of my friends were getting paid in experience or working at terrible jobs. You know, I worked at a yogurt company for the first two years as their director of marketing, which wasn't a thing. Um, And um, I mean, really enjoyed my time there. But it was, it's hard looking back. I mean, we you know, it's hard seeing kind of through a time period and understanding, like, we were in it a little bit. You know, that was, like, a real constant struggle for us. Um, But we also, you know, those were some of the best years of our lives as well. So when I discovered girls, like, six years too late, um, I was sort of fascinated to look back at that time period and say, like, I was one of them. Like, I'm, I'm an older millennial probably, but I'm definitely a millennial, and we were definitely a part of that group that was sort of ejected from college and into a world that, you know, didn't really have, like, glamour or structure to it, and we're told to go be successful and we weren't sure like what that meant or what to be successful at like I graduated with a film and television degree and was sort of like "Hmm, how should I apply this (laughs) and if especially if I wasn't going to go to LA or New York and so we really struggled during that time period and this this tv show is it's a little bit hard to watch because there are times where it's sort of like oh that was so difficult or these characters are sort of self-involved or you know have um, you know are overeducated and underemployed and so it's sort of hard to watch them go through the struggle as well and really see that it resonates a lot with me, um, mm. you know, as I watch the show. But it's really well done. I mean, the characters are interesting to watch. You know, they're a little unlikable at times. But that's really, I think, because they are faced with a good amount of challenges and not really sure how to navigate them. But, um, but and it's it's interesting from the perspective that Lena Dunham was, she was 23 when she sold that show Yeah, to I really wanted to hate her. I really, me really too. wanted and to I hate her. Me too, and I kind of still, you know, like, I, I'm... <laughs> no, she's, no she's, she's, really she's brilliant. Good, yeah. She's really a genius. The show is genius. And, uh, yeah, it is. It is. Um, and she yeah, wrote, directed, and, and starring in it. And it's um, and she they, she sold it just based off of, like, a poem or, like, a one sheet that she had written. Yeah, let's hate about, her. Let's yeah, hate her. Yeah, talking yes. about kind of her generation. And um, and uh, and she says even in that, you know, initial pilot, you know, her character Hannah Horvath is like, I think I'm the voice of my generation, or I think I'm at least one of the voices. And you kind of like was like are watching her like, what are you saying? But then you're like, is she right? Um, oh, she's, I think she's being um, very ironic. Too, I know, but, but then you're sort of then you're sort of watching the show and understanding again sort of the, the challenges that they're facing and how they're trying to navigate this world with again not much structure or help or money. And you're kind of like, yeah, maybe maybe she is sort of that voice. And it's it's again when you look back, it's impossible to think of how she knew that even then. Yeah. Like knew that this was a, a real movement and a moment in time for these, you know, for these kids who are graduating during, again, sort of um, a really difficult time period. So yeah, that's uh, so a, it's, it's a brilliant show. It yeah. really is a brilliant show. It's it. It's not exactly doesn't exactly talk to me directly, but I really, truly appreciate the quality and the that's a that's a kind of writing I don't necessarily mm-hmm. do. So are you do you find yourself drawn to that as far as a writer? That's not really. A, no. <laughs> like I watch it. I'm kind of like. This is interesting, or it is. It's it's so it's really authentic writing, though, and I think sometimes people 
It is. Yeah, I have a hard time, again, watching that or even writing that. It's so, you know, she makes herself sort of so vulnerable um, yeah, she's as fearless. a character. She's fearless. Yeah, she really she, is. She's fearless physically, and she's fearless emotionally, but just the writing of it, her her processing. So yeah, I mean, and the, yeah, the discussions about herself. and I'm getting goosebumps. That's a great <laughs> show. It really is. Um, and, but there are also things that are where it's like the minutia of life kind of at it now and in that time period as well. Like where she, like there's, there was some point where she was talking about how easily she bruises to somebody else. And I was like, these are the conversations that me and my friends have too, which are so <laughs> dumb and inane, but, but so interesting as well. Um, and so it's, it's fun to see some of that translate to the screen also. But then yeah, deeper issues of you know, what it's like to, uh, you know, to really, truly go grow up, you know, from a girl to a woman and, and really what you experience again during that transition, uh, which is so unique. And so, um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of it and I'm looking forward to finishing it. <laughs> okay. So that wraps up uh, what I guess, are you going to say something to? Well, I was just, I was just going to say that uh, if any of our listeners are watching anything that they really like, they should let us know. How should they let us know? I guess that. They I, should I, let I, us know. I wrote it on a piece. Okay, I, I have it too, but I wasn't there. Okay. They should let us yeah. know on the website. They should let us know on the website, plotpoints.com. And uh, otherwise, they can leave a voicemail message at 323-989-1144. Maybe we'll play your voicemail on the air. Oh, that'd be great. Wouldn't that be exciting? <laughs> that would be. Then you're like, it's like you're here with us. Yeah. We're going to take a break and then come back in a little bit. So we have a few questions now from our listeners submitted via our website, plotpoints.com. As a reminder, if you ever have questions for Mark, you can ask via the website or leave a voicemail at 323-989-1144. That's 323-989-1144. Mark, you ready? I am. He is. Okay. Uh, so question number one, I've heard writers talk about structure being passe or limiting to your writing. True or false? Well, I'm... I'm always surprised at that because people who talk, ask that usually, or, or people who say that structure is passe usually follow a structure anyway. So as an example, I just saw La La Land, and it's probably one of the more creative movies I've seen in quite a while. And it, it perfectly follows film structure. And you never look at it and think, oh, it's following the three-act or whatever structure. You just enjoy the, the story. So my opinion, first of all, people who say they don't follow structure absolutely do. And people who think that it's passe, I, I think are just wrong. I think it's just, I think they're, I think you're stupid. No, I don't think so. I'm just kidding. But uh, no, the structure is very important. It, it's important, especially in film, because film is, you know, a, a short uh, form medium. It's not a, a novel. It's not something you can go on endlessly on. And even in a TV series, Something has to get to something in a in a short amount of time. So so no structure is not passe. Question number two: Should I do a lot of research before I start to write? No, but you should do some research. Obviously, if you're writing, when I when I did Arachnid uh, for Sci-Fi Channel, I actually went to the vector control um, people and watched all, and they showed me all their bugs and jars and stuff like that. And uh, it's probably a little, I went a little bit overboard, but the, the knowledge that I had informed the script. But there becomes a point where you over-research, where you, where you substitute that for writing. And so it, you should always do some research. It depends. If you're writing a story about, if you're writing paranormal activity, I don't know how much research you need to do besides laying in bed. But if you're writing something about a historical fact or a person or something, obviously you need to know something about them. So... Um, 
So, but, but don't let it get in the way of writing. Do, do as much research as you need to start your script and then do research throughout your script because I, I continually do research. I'm writing a revolutionary war script now. I'm still doing research. So, yeah. And how important is grammar, spelling, and punctuation? It's very important. Jack Nicholson said, everything counts. And if you don't think that you, you, you know, there are people that judge you based on your punctuation, your spelling, your grammar. We don't have to be great at all that, but we do have to be at least, you can't text your, your narrative. You can't omit punctuation. You can't put Y-O-U-R instead of Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. So, uh, yeah, I think it's important. I think that uh, if you're a professional and you want to be a professional, you present yourself with the best, the best possible presentation you can. And last question. Someone stole my idea. What should I do? You should cry. <laughs> Boo-hoo. Um, th- nothing. There's nothing you can do. I-, I would say if somebody, if you go to a theater or, you, or you're in class and, uh, or a workshop and somebody's already working on something that you are, I would continue to write it because it, it can become a, writing, a great writing sample. And, and I'll tell you a quick story. I had, a, um, I had a concept to write The Untouchables in Russia at the time that Glasnost was, was coming up. Oh, it, I'm sorry, coming up. It was already done. It was a fait accompli. And I was going to send the FBI to Russia and have them do uh, the kind of the, like uh, help the Russians with their crime problem. Because uh, after Glasnost, the government stepped away from a lot of the controls and, and the, the gangsters went wild. So they had a roaring 20s kind of uh, situation, like an Al Capone thing. So I, I did some research on Moscow because I had no idea what, what it looked like and any of that. I did, uh, you know, I wanted to infuse it with some facts. I put up a map of Russia on behind my wall, on my wall behind my desk. I was just ready to write and I picked up Variety and it said Paramount Fast Tracking, The Untouchables in Russia. And I, I just, I was so furious, I ripped the map down, I ripped it up, I threw it away. Well, that movie never got made. So if I had written that movie and uh, marketed it, I would have prob- probably had that movie in production. So I don't think you should ever give up, but there's no copywriting an idea. If somebody has an idea, it's, if, there, if you could copyright an idea, there'd be only one romantic comedy, one gangster film, one, you know, it's just, you can't do it. So uh, it's not stealing the idea that matters, it's stealing your treatment of the idea that matters. And there, that's actionable. But I wouldn't advise doing anything about that either. It's a small town. Okay, great. Well, thanks, Mark. And again, if you have any questions that you want answered, feel free to submit via our website, again, at plotpoints.com and, uh, and or leave a voicemail at 323-989-1144. By the way, I just want to mention, do not send me any material via the website. I won't read it. I'm not allowed to. My attorney would bitch slap me. No, I shouldn't say that. My attorney would hit me in the in the beans if I did. So... Please don't send me, don't send me anything via the website because I won't read it. Period. Thank you. All right, welcome back. Uh, we're here with, or I'm here. I don't know who we're. Me and the mouse in my pocket. I'm here with uh, my co-host, who is Mary Claire Anderson, or as we affectionately call her, MC. And uh, our engineer and uh, genius behind the uh, podcast itself is Toby Walwork, um, who is uh, tapping the table, uh, trying to pretend like he's like he's actually doing something. Uh, and no. which he also told us not to do. Yeah, he told us <laughs> specific. In fact, I'm moving my hands, and he's saying I'm tapping the table. So I'm allowed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> All 
right, so I wanted to ask, uh, I, we, we put up the website, which is uh, plotpoints.com, and um, we, I asked for bios from everybody, and of course, Toby still has to fill his in, but Mary Claire filled hers in, and MC, I wanted to ask you something. Why is Ratatouille, in your opinion, the best movie that Pixar has ever made? You heard it here first. This was the first movie I saw twice in theaters. <laughs> I saw Ratatouille twice in theaters. Actually, now that I say that, I did see Up as well twice in theaters, um, both times alone. But um, but Ratatouille, I loved. Like, I really, really loved this story, and I think it's because it really is. You I mean, Pixar it. always leads with their heart. I always say that. They're really passionate about their product um, and who in their market and ultimately the story that they're trying to tell. Like, they're a story-first organization. Um, but this one truly, I think, really leads with its heart. I mean, it's really about a story following your destiny and, and who you are and, and why that's important. Um, and I think it's kind of an examination of that. Um, even if your destiny is something that's different than the one your family or friends think that's right mm -hmm. for you. And so... So it um, spoke to you from from a different level. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Remy, the, the central character, the rat, wants to be a chef, which is like two real, real extremes. And I'm sure Pixar was sort of like, who is the one type of animal or person that you would least expect to want to be a chef in and it's kitchen. a rat yeah, yeah and it's a rat that inherently should not be in the kitchen um and and he wants to be a chef you know he he thinks about food like lyrically magically passionately and, and is a great great chef and knows that from a really early age um but of course his family and friends don't understand it don't want to understand it and uh, and he fights back against that and uh and his mentor in the film is another you know is a human chef named gusto um and gusto sort of mantra is anyone can cook and I think that that's um, and it's sort of something that you know people denigrate or um, you know Anton Ego like one of the central villains is also like no not everybody can cook um, that's that's not a thing um, and I think the more so the important lesson is that you know it's not that anybody can cook it's that a great cook can come from anywhere, anywhere right? um, which I love I love that message and it's a beautiful beautiful film it's kind of like an homage to Paris, or, you know, a, a love story to Paris as well, and, and the people who champion art and cooking there also. And so I tend to, when I'm cooking or prepping for the week, I'll have Ratatouille on in the background, so I feel like a rat <laughs> chef as well. Um, and, um, At least you're not and, wearing them in your hat. That's just... <laughs> I would love to. <laughs> I would love to cook like Remy. But, um, but it's one of my favorites, and I think it's a really underrated one. But I do think if you look at a top 17 list for Pixar, Ratatouille's always up there. Like, everybody... Who knows anything? I think always understands that that's one well, of the better okay. Pixar so, films. I'm going to agree with you. It's up there because mm -hmm. it's Brad Bird, mm -hmm. who we all love, I think. Uh, but yeah, and and his film Iron Giant is freaking genius. Excellent. But my best, my top Pixar film is The Incredibles because mm -hmm. uh, uh, for the same reasons. But um, so the one thing I did notice about Ratatouille. Uh, first of all, I like the Linguini character yeah, better. Linguini? I think him, oh, really? I think he's a better character. Remy's good, but the mm -hmm. green character is fantastic. And also, the animation was so incredible in that. I mean, mm -hmm. there's a scene where, what was the girlfriend's name? Colette. Colette. When she's bending down, she's looking at something, and her hair is falling in her... <laughs> it's in the, the, anima the detail is freaking incredible. Yeah. So, so I, I just wondered. I was just curious. I, I, I don't look at top ten uh, animation lists or Pixar lists, but 
um, I got to say, it's it's up there. For me, it's up there. It's not the one number one, but it's up there. Yeah, I think the top five always rotates a little bit. I think that that's where there's Is Wally like, one of them. Wally's definitely one of them. Yeah. I love Wally as Toy well. Toy Story, obviously. Um, I think well, and sometimes like Toy Story is a trilogy, so sometimes like they're all really really great. So yeah. a lot of times, you know, you'll see them ranked a little bit differently because it is a trilogy. Although they are making a fourth, but um, but I think Up is up there as well. Um, who else? Might the Incredibles for sure. Um, all and I would say I mean Finding uh, Nemo is in the mix there too. Uh, well, that was kind of the first of its kind. I think that really set the precedent for like I mean aside from Toy Story, but that really was a big box office deal and um, and encouraged people to do more. So, mm. well, um, if it has Brad Bird's name on it, I'm there. I'm there the first day. I just love that guy. He's a, we've already uh, already all decided that he's an unqualified genius in in all ways, shapes, and forms. So. Okay, I was just curious. I like I said when I saw it on I I don't follow those lists, so um, you know there's a lot of animation I don't like um, because I think it it talks down to people. But I think Pixar is a really shining mm -hmm. example of how to make a film that that entertains everybody. Yeah, and honestly, I think Ratatouille does a good job of not talking down to people as well. Like that's kind of the primary I mean reason for having the Anton Ego character, and his name is Ego. Like he's coming mm. from a place of ego, mm. and at the end he sort of. It comes to the revelation that he was wrong and he's willing to admit it right. and uh, I love that and there's a great, a great scene in, there's a great scene in there I, I'm not going to say what it is but it made me really understand that movie that's one moment in there it's genius freaking mm -hmm. genius so. yeah and that's I mean his speech at the end I mean he, he he sort of says like in many ways the work of a critic is easy you know we risk we, very we, little we tear yeah. everything down right? um, and sometimes it's fun to write that stuff it's fun to write and fun to read but um, but the bitter truth that they face is that you know the average piece of junk is more meaningful than our criticism mm -hmm. saying it mm -hmm. and so I think he you know the experience of the new is something that you know rocked him to his core and so mm -hmm. I, I really like that piece tying it all together and uh, it's a beautiful one okay you ask and answer uh, counselor all right thank you um, we'll, we're going to take a quick break um, and we'll be right back remember that you can uh, send us uh, messages through the website it's uh, plotpoints.com and the phone number if you want to leave a voicemail you can call 323-989-1144 So we're going to talk um, a little bit about uh, this month in film history, although um, it may be this year or this decade. We're, we're not going to stick to that. You're not going to hold us to that. So um, there's two really seminal films uh, that came out this month uh, a few years ago. Uh, MC, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, one of the big ones, uh, pretty recognizable. I would say Star Wars mm. premiered in May of 1977, so we're coming up on the 40th anniversary of the original film, A New Hope. Um, and Star Wars, I mean, it's probably a cultural institution at this point, you know, of immense proportions. Its impact on Hollywood alone has been, you know, gigantic. And, uh, and I was saying earlier, I wasn't, you know, I didn't grow up with Star Wars. I discovered it really, really late. Maybe like a year ago is when I watched all three of the oh original films. Um, I saw The Phantom Menace before I saw any of the other uh, oh. films. And so, um, so yeah, so now up to speed and understand the hype. <laughs> I think that they're great films and I'm sure you can talk more about how they've, you know, impacted your life, your world and your work. But, um, but, uh, Obviously, a huge, huge discovery. Yeah, I, I mean, I saw Star Wars in the theaters, and coming from a science fiction background, I've, I've been reading sci-fi since I was a kid, really, really loved the genre. 
And this is, this is you know, not, this is aliens and spaceship sci-fi. It's kind of like the Robert, Robert Silverberg, uh, the old, like the golden age uh, sci-fi writers who, who wrote about spaceships and stuff. But it was, it blew my hair back when I, I went, that's when I actually had hair. Um, just an amazing, uh, and you know, the touchy-feely stuff like the force and stuff, mm -hmm. that's right down the line with a lot of stuff that I read growing up. Um, so it, I, I mean, you can, you can, if you don't see it in the theaters, I, I don't think you can appreciate the impact it has. But also, even now, it holds up. But it also, we, we've overdone, we've outdone those special effects. But think about back then, he had to actually have what they call practical effects. There had to actually be models. There was no CGI or very little CGI coming out. So all those, I remember seeing the making of this thing. It was, what an incredible visionary. Mm -hmm. um, just a, a, an amazing piece of work and uh, such like we just lost Carrie Fisher mm -hmm. who uh, you know was an um, was incredible as a princess Leia those people made fun of those buns on the side of her head but it really it really uh, branded her so uh, Star Wars what an what an amazing film and it continues right we have a we've, we've had a couple more we've had Rogue One yeah and uh, uh, the Force, uh, Force Awakens. Awakens we have the last Jedi coming this year in December and so it really does continue and even in May I, I mean we honor it by May 4th you know that's May the 4th <laughs> May the 4th, May the 4th be, be with you, you. I yeah. mean, it is it kind of permeates every like facet of so, pop culture. So you didn't, I mean, when you were growing up, were you aware of Star Wars or you just didn't? I was aware, but it wasn't, I don't know, it didn't really, I don't know, impact me in any way, shape, or form in some sense. You never like, dated any nerds when you were in high school that... Uh... Not any that maybe championed Star Wars. Like, oh, I don't okay. know, I, this is sort of goofy to say, but even back then, like, they felt a little bit older. Like, they felt like sort of that... It was in a different time. It was. Um, it was yeah, certainly, and, um, 1977 and was Until they were sort of brought back into the forefront, um, yeah, I didn't really understand maybe, yeah, the hype around the films or why they were important um, or even just how the stories continued to be told um, in other films and other books and other medium. Um, but I, you know, I joke, my, like my father was of age back then and he sort of was like thought he was too cool for Star Wars <laughs> um, and my mother you know was much more interested in sort of pop culture and um, are you saying I'm as old as your father <laughs> holy shit no. and so I don't know that wasn't this wasn't something that was in our household like we didn't watch that sort of um, you know sort of day after day or night after night or understand again maybe why it was important but after seeing it like yeah you I got get it, it. Yeah. I get it <laughs> Well, the other, I mean, the other part of that for, for film history is the, the fact that it was based in Joseph Campbell's mm -hmm. uh, work, seminal work, The Hero with a Thousand Faces, and uh, uh, Lucas actually had him to the ranch to design the trilogy, which it was designed to be, and uh, it's, it's something I teach in intro class uh, in my uh, script writing classes mm -hmm. at Irvine Valley College through Community Ed, in case you wanted to know, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it was... I mean, for all those reasons, it was a, it's a, it was a great film and still remains a, uh, a cultural icon, I think. I mean, for sure. I mean, there are references in every television show, books, <laughs> like movies, references that I didn't used to get, but now I do. Um, and so it's, it's crazy how, uh, how the craze continues. Right. What else is... Uh what else is... Uh... Yeah, so also this month, uh, Alien oh. had, its, had its premiere in 1979, ah. uh, May 19th this year. And um, and with, you know, the new... I mean, this is another one that has, you know, multiple sequels. And Alien Covenant comes out uh, next week mm. with, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with a few like Michael Fassbender, uh, a lot of great actors. And it's Ridley Scott again. And Alien is a completely different look. 
that's why I love science fiction. I mean, you got Star Wars, and then two years mm-hmm. later, you got a, a it, this horror film. You know, this uh, Jack in the Box horror film, uh, and and that, a little bit more hard science science fiction, but still still kind of in mm-hmm. that realm. So, did you want? Now, have you seen it? That was a, he assigned that to our class. Where uh, <laughs> Mark had us watch Alien to really understand. I mean, Alien is a creature feature. I mean, set in space True. and um, well done. Very very high well production. done. Yeah, high production value. Um, and really, really well-written scripts. So we broke it down in class to understand the overall structure of it. And uh, and I, that was another film I had never seen as well. That was a little bit before my time also. I had seen some of the sequels, funny enough, but I had never seen the the true original. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that was uh, really, really entertaining and, and terrifying as yeah, well. Yeah, it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. It's a, And again, it uh, has a lot of uh, really interesting sci-fi concepts. I mean, every sci-fi film should be a morality tale. And this one is talks about... You know, uh, corporate um, corporations' interests versus personal interests, mm-hmm. and in fact, I'm reading The Expanse, which is uh, also a, a show on Sci-Fi Channel, which is exactly that. It's really horrible what this corporate these corporations do to these people. So, um, anyway, very very good stuff, great stuff. We'll try to get something non-Sci-Fi next <laughs> time. But Toby, did you have a, uh, anything you wanted to say? I just wanted to mention that uh, I was a Star Trek kid, so I don't know what you guys are even talking about. <laughs> What's Star Trek? Okay, we're going to take another quick break, and we will be back. Uh, Mary Claire, why don't you tell them where they can contact us if they want to. (laughs) So you can reach us at plotpoints.com, and if you, again, have questions or want to submit anything via the website um, or leave a voicemail, you can call us at 323-989-1144. Thank you. Well, we had a great time. Uh, thank you for listening. I just want to mention uh, in, in closing, I want to encourage you all not to look at the world through other people's eyes, but experience it through your own and always be that storyteller that tells about the wonder of things because the wonder of things still exists. It's still as strong now as it ever was. So and in that spirit, I'd, I'd like to read a, a Ray Bradbury co- a quote that I keep in my wallet. Uh, to remind me of how to be the best writer I can be. And I'm, you may have heard this quote, but it's a, it's a beautiful thought. If we listen to our intellect, we'd never have a love affair. We'd never have a friendship. We'd never go in business because we'd be cynical. Well, that's nonsense. You're going to miss life. You've got to jump off the cliff all the time and build your wings on the way down. So keep jumping off those cliffs. cliffs. Have fun with it. Be, be the best writer you can be. And also, just be inspired and do good work. And that'll just about do it for today's episode of the Plot Points Podcast. I'm Toby Walwork from Mary Claire Anderson and Mark Sevy. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to drop us a line, please go to plotpoints.com or call us at 323-989-1144. And as Kurt Vonnegut once said, if this isn't nice, I don't know what is. We'll see you next time.